Well, hey guys, my name is Eden Richardson. Welcome to today's online sermon. I'm so excited you are here. I head up women's ministry, and so I'm excited to introduce uh, Pastor Hogg's sermon today on godliness. This will be his part two uh, series sermon on godliness. You know, godliness is really about a devotion to God and a reverence to God. So we're excited to hear Pastor Hogg preach more on that today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Dear God, thank you so much that you have given us your word, Lord. Um, we're excited to hear from Pastor Hogg on Titus 2 today, Lord, on how godliness is a gift, Lord. It is a gift and a choice. So God, I pray for the people that are hearing this sermon here today, God, that you would encourage them to live a life of godliness, Lord. And we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we are continuing the three-week teaching series on godliness. What? is godliness. What do we mean when we talk about being godly? And I think most people think about moral purity, perfection, you know, being really, really holy and maybe obeying a bunch of do's and and don'ts. And what I want to say to you is that is an incomplete understanding of godliness. While it does mean moral purity and living, that's not the full understanding. But the Bible, when it talks about godliness, particularly in the New Testament, the Greek word translated as godliness has the idea of, of being fully devoted to God, of having reverence for God. And the flip side of that two-sided coin is that my attitudes and my lifestyle match my devotion, that the way I live, the way I think, the way I make decisions lines up with matches my reverence for God. And so my living is a reflection of my devotion and reverence to God. That is a fuller understanding of what the Bible means by the word godliness. Now, last Sunday, we said godliness is something good, which God uses to protect us from all of the pain and the damage that sin always brings to our lives. And that he uses his words and, and the, the example of godly people who teach us his word, if you will, to help us grow in godliness as his way of protecting us from ourselves from bad decisions, and from the ruin and heartache that sin brings. Today, I want us to look at, a, at another aspect of, of godliness, and I've titled today's message, Godliness. It is both a gift and a choice. A gift and a choice. Today, we're in Titus chapter 2. Last week, we were in the first chapter of Titus. Next Sunday, chapter 3. But this morning, chapter 2. And in the opening 10 verses, he talks about how godliness impacts our relationships, especially inside the church. But I want us to focus on the last part of chapter 2 this morning, starting with verse 11. So if you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, I hope you've got it in your hand right now. This is God's word for us. So let's read it together. Starting at verse 11, the Bible says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing or teaching us to deny ungodliness. There's the negative of the word godliness, to deny ungodliness. 
and worldly desires or passions to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. There it is, godly in the present age, looking, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, looking waiting for the second coming of Christ. Then in verse 14, continuing to speak about Jesus, the Bible says, who gave himself, Jesus gave himself for us, why? To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now in those verses, we discover that godliness is both a gift and a choice. Now, I want us to begin by looking at godliness as a gift. And let me say, it is a gift we desperately need. In verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. And then he talks about Jesus coming back in verse 13. Then in verse 14, Jesus who gave himself for us. We need the gift of godliness that Jesus makes available because each and every one of us are sinners. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have sinned. You have sinned. Each of us are sinners. And that means we are not godly. Even the best of us, the best of us are not godly. All of us, each, every one of us have been stained by the dirt and filth of sin in our own lives. And we need help because we can't cleanse ourselves of that stain. We can't cleanse ourselves of that sin. But Jesus, he appeared. He was born at Bethlehem. He took upon himself humanity and came to this earth. And the Bible says in verse 11 that when he did that, he appeared and he showed us the grace of God. Jesus showed us God's love for us in spite of each of us being a sinner. And he made salvation in verse 11 available to all men, each and every one of us. And he did this. He showed us the grace of God and made salvation available to each and every one of us in verse 14 by giving himself for us. What does it mean when the Bible says Jesus gave himself for us? Well, the author of Hebrews in our New Testament in chapter 2, verse 9 said this. Listen to it and read the words there on the screen. But we do see him, referring to Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, meaning that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and took upon himself humanity. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. He died on the cross, but today he's glorified in heaven so that, now listen, so that by the grace of God, the same grace we read about in verse 11, by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. On the cross, Jesus died for you. He died for everyone. He gave himself, meaning that on the cross, he literally, physically died. And the Disciple of Jesus named Peter in his first letter in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, said this. He himself, Jesus himself, bore, carried 
our sins in his own body on the cross. So when Jesus gave himself for us by dying on the cross, he took upon himself and carried our sins, my sins, and your sins. He paid the penalty for us so we would not have to pay the penalty for our sin. And if you look back at verse 14 in chapter 2 of Titus, it says, he gave himself for us, notice this, to redeem us, to redeem us from every lawless deed. To redeem means to buy freedom for someone who has been captured or Kidnap is to pay the ransom. And the Bible is saying that when Jesus gave himself for us in dying on the cross and bearing our sin, carrying our sin, he redeemed us, meaning that we had been kidnapped, that we were prisoners. We were even slaves, if you will. And by bearing our sin on the cross, Jesus redeemed us, paid the ransom, the payment the penalty, so we could be set free. And you say, well, pastor, what was I a prisoner of? Who kidnapped me? The Bible tells us that you were kidnapped by sin. You were kidnapped by Satan. You were kidnapped by death. You were kidnapped by hell, and you could not free yourself. You had no price. You had no resource. You had no money. You had nothing you could pay to buy your freedom. But on the cross, Jesus paid that ransom. He purchased your freedom. And he said in verse 14 to redeem us from every lawless deed. I love the way that is stated. Because it means that Jesus purchased my freedom from every sin I ever commit. All my sins. But it also means he purchased my freedom from each sin. The little ones, the middle-sized ones, the big ones. You think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid the ransom for your worst sin, for your biggest, baddest sin, and for every sin. That's what Jesus did, and that's the grace of God or the love of God that appeared and has been shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 14. Not only did he give himself to redeem us from every lawless deed, but he also gave himself so that he would purify for himself a people of his own possession, purify, meaning that Jesus removes that sin from us. The stain of sin we talked about last Sunday, when I am a follower of Jesus, it's as though that stain comes completely out. All my sins are forgiven, and the Old Testament says, remove from me. Those sins are removed from me as far as the east is from the west, opposite directions, never to meet me again. Jesus purifies, he cleanses, he forgives, and that means in his eyes, when he looks at me, he sees one who is declared godly, one who is declared 
forgiven. One who is declared justified and right with God, not because of anything I have done, but because of what he did on the cross and giving himself for me, redeemed me from sin and purified me, made me clean, made me pure, made me forgiven, if you will, in the eyes of God, made me godly. And in verse 14, I became part of his people, and so did you when you gave your life to Jesus, a people for his own possession. If I know Jesus, I belong to Jesus. If you know Jesus, you belong to Jesus, and my identity is in Christ. My identity is in being his people, his possession, and my identity is is not tied to how many friends or followers I have on Instagram or Facebook or any other social media platform. My identity is not tied to how many people like the post, the picture that I put on Instagram or Twitter or anything else. My identity does not come from any of that stuff. My identity comes from the fact that Jesus likes me, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus has redeemed me, that Jesus gave himself for me, and I have been redeemed and freed from sin, purified, forgiven, and in the eyes of Almighty God declared godly, declared Forgiven, I belong to him and his family, and it's in God's eyes that I stand in grace. That's why I said at the beginning of this message that godliness is a gift. For when I stand before God on the judgment day, I will not stand there as a sinner, but as one declared godly, forgiven because of Jesus and my faith in him. But I also said that godliness is a choice. You see, because my identity is in Jesus and I'm part of his family, his possession, and he's declared me forgiven, he's declared me godly spiritually in his eyes. I've been redeemed and that's my status with the Lord. I choose because that's who I am. I choose to live like who I am. I choose to live like a member of the family of God. I choose to live a godly lifestyle because he has declared me forgiven and placed me in godliness in Christ. And I want to live that kind of lifestyle. I want to have that attitude. I want to make those kind of decisions. That is the way I'm wired. And so it is with you if you have chosen Jesus and been forgiven and been saved because you have declared, you have been declared by from, from heaven to be his and to be godly. You want to and you choose to live a godly life. And he tells us in this passage that God's grace, God's love that came in Jesus teaches us how to live a godly life. Look at verse 12. He says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires or passions 
and to live sensibly or, or under self-control or soberly and to live righteously and to live godly in this present age. He teaches us how to live godly because he teaches us what to say no to. He says we are to say no to ungodliness because we are in Christ and that's our identity. We choose to say no. As he said in verse 12, to deny literally means to say no. I deny it. I say no. I say no to ungodliness. And ungodliness is the opposite of godliness. If if godliness is a devotion to God and a reverence for God that causes me to live in such a way that my lifestyle and my attitude matches that devotion and matches that reverence. If that's what godliness is, ungodliness is the opposite of that. It means that I pull back in my devotion to God. I pull back in my reverence for God. And that begins showing up in my lifestyle. I remember years ago, Monisa and I were pulling out of a parking light at a stoplight onto a four-lane highway here in Rock Hill. The light was green, and we pulled out, and and the next thing I knew, there was a a loud bang as another car coming on that four-lane had run the red light and broadsided us on the driver's side. And uh, my head bounced off the driver's window, and I remember the car was pushed to the right, and 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 the the tire was knocked off, and and I looked at my wife and I said, "What happened?" And she had to tell me somebody hit us, ran the red light because I was dazed. And I have to tell you, ever since that experience, when I go through an intersection, I'm constantly constantly looking to my left and to my right. I don't simply trust the lights. I don't trust the other drivers because of that experience. I look right and I look left at every intersection. And I think God is teaching us here as we live in this present age, we are to keep our eyes open and look at what's coming in our direction, what's trying to ram into us, what's trying to hit us, what's trying to make a wreck of our lives. And the truth is anything and everything that distracts you from your devotion to Christ, that distracts you from your reverence to God is like a car getting ready to broadside you and make a mess of your life. Anything that seeks to pull you away from devotion and reverence, anything that seeks to pull you away from living like one who has been declared forgiven and pure and godly because you are in Christ, you need to say no to it. Keep your eyes open and look all around your life and say no Learn to say no. Learn to deny those things, to avoid those things, to stop those things that pull you from godliness. God's grace, when you live in it, teaches you to say no to ungodliness. But he also says in verse 12, it teaches you to say no to to deny worldly desires, worldly passions, worldly lust of this world and culture. You know, this culture often celebrates things that God calls sin. And if you want to know what worldly passions and lust and desires are, look at where God says one thing and the culture says something else. 
When the culture celebrates something that God condemns, when the culture celebrates something God calls sin, that is a worldly, fleshly passion. And God says his love in Christ and your new status in Jesus moves you, teaches you, compels you, motivates you to say no to anything the world celebrates that God says is wrong. But God's grace not only teaches us how to say no, his love and Jesus and our new relationship with him teaches us how to say yes. And what we say yes to is living like a follower of Jesus. And I think he teaches us in verse 12 and verse 13 that if we are going to say yes to living like a follower of Jesus, we need to keep our eyes open and not only looking for the ungodly things that would pull us away so we can avoid those, keep our eyes open and look in four different directions, four different directions so we can stay on the path of godliness. I want to suggest that we look inward. We look inward into our inner spiritual health on the inside. Are we still devoted to God? Do we still have reverence for God that shows up in obedience to God? Look inward in verse 12 after saying, say no to or deny ungodliness and worldly desires. He says, and and that we are also taught by God's grace to live sensibly To live sensibly, your Bible may translate it self-controlled or soberly. Literally in the Greek, it means to live in your right mind. What is your right mind? It is to think like Jesus thinks, not like the culture thinks. It is to think like the Word of God thinks, like the Word of God speaks, not like others out there are trying to get you to think. And so I need to feed my soul and feed my heart and feed my mind on Jesus and his teaching, his truth, his word, because that gives me the sense, the common sense, that gives me the self-control to live according to what he says and not my emotions. I need to look inward and make certain that I am thinking right and staying right with God because I'm listening to his word, to his voice, not my emotions and not the the voices in this culture. But not only do I need to look inwardly, I also need to look outwardly. And by that, I'm talking about our relationships with others and how we treat other people. He says, not only are we to live sensibly, but we are to live righteously. And righteously in the Greek has more to do with how you treat others because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's literally the idea of doing what is right, what is just and honest. And so many Bibles translate that phrase in this verse as to live upright, to live righteously, to live upright. It means I don't treat people wrong. I treat people right. I do what is just and what is proper. You know, former President Jimmy Carter to Rick Carter recently, uh, it was it was uh, announced that he's moved into hospice care. He's 98 years old. And back in the 70s, he was really the first president to talk openly about his born again faith in Jesus Christ. And he was a lifelong 
Baptist growing up in southwest southwest Georgia on a, a peanut farm. And, and in 1946, he graduated from the Naval Academy and spent seven years in the Navy. While he was in the Naval Academy, there were students who insulted him with a racial slur that, that I can't say because it's so awful. They called him a G-D-N lover because there was one black midshipman at the Naval Academy and Jimmy Carter did what was right and befriended him. And as a result, other students criticized him. When his father died, he resigned his commission from the Navy and returned to Georgia to run the family business, the peanut farm, if you will. And that was during the days of segregation and Jim Crow laws. And he refused to join the White Citizens Council, which was not the KKK necessarily, but the business people in towns and cities that got together to keep the races separated and to keep blacks out of their business and, 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 and so on. And, and they wanted him to join. He refused. They threatened to boycott his business. He refused to join the White Citizens Council. And one day a delegation showed up at his warehouse and they were threatening him. And one of them said, uh, Jimmy, I'll, I'll pay the, the $5 fee for you to join and become a member. And Carter became angry and walked over to the cash register and took out a $5 bill. And then he said to that group of the White Citizen Council, he said, I'll take this and flush it down the toilet. But I am not going to join the White Citizens Council. Under immense pressure, he was righteous. He was upright. He did what was good and what any follower of Jesus should do. He treated other people right, even when the culture and quite often the church culture was pushing him to do what was wrong. We look inward to make sure I'm still right with God and listening to God, but he teaches me to live godly by looking outwardly and making certain I'm treating people the way God wants me to treat them, not the way the culture does. But thirdly, I look upward. I need to look upward to live godly. He talks about our obedience to him in verse 12, not only to live sensibly and righteously, but godly. And there's that word again. I need to look upwardly and make certain that in my life, I'm showing my devotion to God. I'm showing my reverence to God by listening to him and obeying him. And then finally, I need to look forward. I need to look Ahead. And verse 13, he says, we do all of that in this present age. In verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. We do all of this right now, looking forward to that day when Jesus comes back and we will see him face to face. That we are to be motivated by our future, motivated by the idea that one day we're going to see Jesus and we are to look forward to that day. We are to imagine what it will be like the first time we see him and how we will feel. I think about young people who are dating, they get engaged and they set a date for their wedding. They get all excited and they have the date and they start doing all of the planning and all of the preparation to get ready for that day. 
I think about a young couple. They've been married two, three, four, five years. They want a family. They're in love. They want children. And she's pregnant. And then one of the first things people ask, when's the due date? And they'll give them a date, eight months, seven months, six months into the future. And they get excited. And the closer it comes, the more excited they get. And they have parties and they buy stuff and they make the nursery ready. And there's these baby showers and all of that because they're looking forward to that day. And what he says is you and I who have experienced the grace of God and been redeemed from each and every one of our sins and purified and declared godly in the eyes of God and have that relationship. His love teaches us to live godly and we are to so look forward to that day when we see him to be so excited about that day that we choose right now, right now to begin getting ready for that day. To begin making preparations for that day. And I choose to make preparations for meeting Jesus by choosing to say no to ungodliness, say no to worldly passions, and say yes to living like a follower of Jesus by keeping my eyes on the prize and looking inward and making certain that my attitude and my, my, my spirit is right with God and his word, looking outward, making sure I'm treating other people right, looking upward, making certain nothing pulls me away from devotion to him and reverence for him and looking forward to that second coming. I make preparation for Jesus, for seeing Jesus by, by living a godly life and love God's grace. My new status in Christ teaches me, motivates me, moves me to do that. And I gladly choose it in this present age, he says, right now, not tomorrow, not after I've done some other things. Not when certain things happen or fall into place, but I choose it in this present age right now to live like a follower of Jesus and live godly. That's what I want to do in this present age. Yes, I live in this environment. I live in this culture. And everywhere I go, I'm surrounded by this culture and and it keeps trying to get inside me and keeps trying to pull me away from Jesus and Pull me away from godliness, but because of Jesus' love and knowing I'm going to see my Savior, I choose to say no to this environment. I choose to say no to this culture that seeks to pull me away from Jesus and godliness, and I happily choose to say yes, yes, yes today. Yes, 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 right now to living like a follower of Jesus, because I don't want to live any other way. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to live for Jesus. That is what godliness is, and it's what we want. I pray it's what you want. Talk to God about it right now. God bless you, and I'll see you next week.